Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And this week we are discussing a film that is somewhere between sci-fi classic, action blockbuster and teen movie. Yes. It's uh, misunderstood by myself at one point. Mm-hmm. Um... It's Starship Troopers. All Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. Yeah, from 1997. Macaulay Culkin and Takashi Miike's favourite film, supposedly. I I don't blame them. It's, uh, spoiler alert, it's a fucking fantastic film. It is. It is uh, a satire on war, the military and America. And what better man to do a satire of such a, a grand scale than Paul Verhoeven? What a man to do a satire on such a scale but yet not make it too obvious yeah now <laughs> re-watching it very obvious yeah. <laughs> very very obvious yeah but it's not slap you in the face satire no it's actually it's difficult because hearing the words come out of my mouth i do kind of feel like well actually it is yeah but it's that sort but of thing like not. Showgirls where it is kind of obvious, but at the same time, people just look straight past it and immediately put it down to being a bad film. Robocop um, did exactly the same I f- thing. I mean, even like films not directed by Paul Verhoeven. I mean, look at Malignant, you know, that's still misunderstood to this day. Um, Megan this year was a satire. Mm. People don't get it. Like, it, it's, it's one of those things where in cinema, when... A satire is done and it's done right, you know, it's fantastic when you recognise it. But if you don't recognise it, then you just end up in the bad movie books. I mean, look at Showgirls, still to this day renowned as being a a terrible film, Mm. when it was actually all by design. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's, It's one of those things, you either, kind of, you either get it or you don't. Yeah. And as someone who... Personally, I have quite a dry sense of humour. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets it. Yeah. And they take what I say sometimes at face value. Yeah. Uh, not to get into a psychology uh, lesson here. But I feel like some films have been misunderstood because of that. Uh-huh. It's a very dark humour, you know, but it's a satire. Yeah. And we'll get into it, obviously, as we go through. Yeah. Of course, Paul Verhoeven is the director of Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Robocop, Total Recall, Benedetta and more. This is his favourite movie of his. Yeah. Uh, and before he uh, was attached to this, James Cameron was attached to direct at one point. Um, I can understand that. Yeah. And I think he would do a very good job. But the satirical elements probably wouldn't be there. I think there's a smidge of that in Aliens. Yeah. As well, actually. So I don't think it's completely out of his ballpark. No. But I don't think it would have worked as well. No. It would have been a fucking fantastic action film. Mm -hmm. We can say that. Uh, It's written by Edward Normier, who wrote Robocop, Starship Troopers 2, 3, and Traitors of Mars, the uh, straight-to-video sequels. And Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. He also wrote the story for Ground Zero Texas, the video game. Right, okay. Um, he and Paul Verhoeven had unprecedented freedom in making the film because management at Sony kept changing all the time. So by the time they finally saw the footage, 
a rough cut was already compiled. And I think that definitely shows. So this was after Showgirls, wasn't it? Yes. I feel like if the studio was more involved with what was going on here, it the satire would have been a lot less because they'd have been fuming about what he did with Showgirls. Because, I mean, look at the reputation it had. Yeah. By well, this point. what Showgirls did was actually make money on the whole well, video yeah. market. Yeah. So it wasn't actually it, it was a, it was a flop at the box office, but overall it actually wasn't a huge flop. Mm. Showgirls, because it was one of those films that people watched alone mm-hmm. at home. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not to get into too much detail. <laughs> so I don't think Paul Verhoeven's now all the women involved in Showgirls, mm-hmm. of course, uh, yeah, struggled obviously. afterwards, particularly Elizabeth Berkley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we won't get into that just now. Yeah. But I don't think Paul Verhoeven struggled too much afterwards. No. Clearly not, because no. he got a big action film. There's yeah. a budget behind this. Uh-huh. You know, and ultimately, just make us an action film, Paul. Yeah. Just, just go out there, make us an action film, make it big, gory, over the top. Mm-hmm. Did what you, you know, do what you did with Robocop. And we'll have a success on our hands. Yeah. A few sequels. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's actually based on a book by Robert A. Heinlein. And uh, Paul Verhoeven admits to have never finished this book, claiming he read through the first few chapters and became both bored and depressed, calling it a very right-wing book. Uh, he then told the screenwriter to tell him the rest of what happens. And the two of them decided that while both the novel and its author strongly supported uh, a... Uh, a sort of military lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, they would turn the concept around and satirise it, making the film a hyperbole of contemporary American politics and culture. Uh, diehard Heinlein fans declare that the filmmakers have completely misinterpreted the uh, nature and intentions of the book. They say he was a uh, libertarian who uh, opposed cons- conscription and militarism. Uh, he depicted uh, the government in the book because it was an example of something that has never been done in real life and he was not advocating it but was merely speculating that such a system could exist without collapsing. So in many ways the author was satirising. Yeah, I mean, supposedly he was very left-wing himself. So it's a weird sort of double misinterpretation here. Yeah. Where the novel was misinterpreted and then satired within the film, and then the film itself has been misinterpreted and satired, and you come yeah. around pretty much full circle. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's very interesting. I th- I think it's also very interesting that anyone could do an adaptation of a book without actually finished reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand. You know, Paul Verhoeven doesn't have a writing credit. Mm-hmm. But you'd still think he would have at least finished the novel, did his research. (laughs) But, Um, you know. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's Paul Verhoeven, the same guy that got the nosebleed from Argon with uh, Michael Douglas. Still to this day, my (laughs) favourite, my favourite fact. Uh, Made on a budget of $105 million and it made $121.2 million worldwide. I do remember this being everywhere. Uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Like, for a good while, I remember people going on about this film. 
Yeah, would you call that a success? Because it was really marketed. It's it's strange I because it yeah, I thought I thought the gross was going to be a lot bigger than that. Yeah, just from my knowledge of of the film and how many people I knew that knew the film and and so on. But then it got direct to video sequel. It did. So it did. would we hazard to guess um, without any real facts, no receipts? But would we hazard to guess that it did well on the video market? I assume so. I assume so, yeah. Yeah. Um. I didn't watch it until, like, recently. Like, la- was it last year we watched it? Last or was year, it- yeah. 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 Yeah, I watched it when I was younger. So I, I watched it. I-, I did what I did when I was younger, and I would find an actor who was in this film on IMDb, and then I would end up watching it. It was on TV. So, yeah, I did watch it when I was younger. And I'll tell you now over my head yeah the whole satire all of that business completely over my head mm-hmm. it was it was just an action film that yeah i enjoyed it but i was like okay denise richards is in it denise richards was in valentine but i watched it well, you weren't uh, you weren't on your own watching it when you were younger because uh, in an interview with coming soon Casper Van Dien uh, spilled with spilled the beans on how a newspaper helped underage audiences see this film. Uh, the New York Times did a, he said the New York Times did a piece where they gave one thousand thirteen and fourteen year old boys tickets to see Bean the movie to see if they could sneak into Starship Troopers because people were doing that a lot at multiplexes back then. After that, they had to uh, they had to push down on it. They. Uh, if it would have doubled our income, so instead of twenty five million, it would have been fifty if it had been a PG thirteen film. Yeah. So I mean, the news, New York Times, giving those tickets. I mean, aren't cinemas going to read that in the newspaper and know that's what's going to happen anyway? <laughs> it's not really an experiment, is it? No. But that's if they published it in advance. That is. I mean, if they didn't, then I can see how that would work. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand that just just in terms of how would that have affected the box I was what he's saying that I mean technically was a Bean big... would have made got a thousand extra tickets yeah that's what I'm thinking <laughs> isn't it Mr. Mr. so I think Bean what they're the trying to say really is well. that making it R rated lost them money I think that's what they were trying to say and they're also trying to prove how easy it is for kids to sneak into other films yeah um, but I mean it's a pretty dumb social experiment really I suppose it, it, it. I mean, it is something that we've all known to happen. I mean, oh god, gotcha. in so many films, where a ticket's bought, they sneak. I mean, we could do it today, really. Yeah. I don't think there's anything to stop. I can't remember the last time anyone checked on a cinema screen. Ever really? No, I mean, I've seen it a few Without times being recently. Prompted. I, well, I've I've seen it a few times recently. People mm. walking and checking. You think? But I mean, yeah. It's it is one of those things. I mean, in the UK, you're more likely to have kids ask you to buy the ticket for them. I had that before uh, Piranha Three D. Like a bunch of twelve year olds. Oh, excuse me, mate. You bought tickets for Piranha? No, you fucking kidding me. What were you going to see? Piranha Three D. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's like, why you said that. If it was a random film that you weren't going to see, no, you I still like, yeah, wouldn't mate, have done it. No, because at the end of the day, you imagine some cigarettes so, and some whiskey whilst you're at it. You buy the tickets and then what are they going to do? Walk up to the guy who checks the tickets and then get turned away. Yeah. Like, that what's is, the point? That is a weird... Yeah. That is true. Um, 
critical reaction to this film at the time tended towards the negative, especially the Washington Post, who savaged the film for its perceived glorification of Nazi symbolism and uh, total, total, or whatever. Totalitarian. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, analysts noted that after a strong 22 million opening weekend, the poor critical reception was most likely responsible for a 50% drop in revenue during the film's first week in cinemas. However, the first signs of critical reappraisal came in 2001 when parallels were noted between the war on terror in Afghanistan and the films patrolling Marines on the bug planets. Oh, in, yeah, definitely yeah. ahead. Well, I say ahead of its time. This it's, is oh, post-Vietnam, though. Yeah. This is post-Vietnam, but way ahead of its time. Really, watching it post 9 mm-hmm. and post the war in Iraq and, and such, um, it really hits in a different way. Yeah. In 2012, Slap Magazine ranked the film number 20 on its list of the 100 best films in the 90s. In 2017, The Guardian claimed that it's no longer science fiction, it's become reality. And in 2020, uh, The New Yorker praised the film as a visionary as it had eerily predicted the past decade of decadence, decay, rising institutional violence and unrestricted bad taste. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's ahead of its time. Um, it, it does feel like something that would be made now rather than back then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And... In other ways, it was seen as brainless. Yeah. Um, when really it's brainful. Yeah. <laughs> if that's a word. Much like the bugs in the film. Ooh. One parallel. Yeah. Well, it's got a big cast, and uh, should we talk about it? It's got a great cast, and we will uh, discuss that right now in a section we like to call, Hey, I know Rue. Well, would you like to start then? I'd like to start. <laughs> First and foremost, one of my favourite people ever. There's four of them. And whenever they appear in a film, I get absolutely giddy. It's Rue McClanahan from TV's Golden Girls. Yes. He's doing a little cameo. Yes. Yes, yes as the uh, biology teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say Golden Girls, and I think that's all you need to know. Yeah. What she was in. My, my favourite TV show. Um, Casper Van... No, is it Van Dien or Van Dyne? I'm sure it's... Van Dien. Uh, yeah. I want to say Van Dien. Well, he plays Johnny Rico, and he was in Elite Battle Angel, Sleepy Hollow, Tarzan and the Lost City, The Pact, Madness in the Method, Ooh. The Dog Who Saved Christmas Vacation, oh. Dracula 3000... Not Dracula, Dracula. Dracula 3000, that sounds great. Dracula 3000. Starring Casper Van Dien. And more. Uh, James Marsden, Keanu Reeves, Mark Wahlberg, Josh Brolin, and Jason Priestley were considered for this role. Of course they were, because you know exactly from that list of what they were going for. Uh-huh. Models. Yeah. Models. Yeah. You know, very handsome men who, with all due respect, maybe are not well known for their acting prowess. No. Casper uh, Van Dien, um, I knew, no... As one of the random extras from Saved by the Bell that would appear in the background. There we go. It's so personal. I always knew the name, but I never knew what I knew him from. Um, he was uh, he was embarrassed at his kid's school when uh, all the kids there uh, knew him from Starship Troopers because their parents forced him to watch it, and they were going around telling his kids how uh, he's naked in the film, and they were absolutely mortified. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can imagine. I can imagine some kid coming up to me and saying, "I saw your dad's ass the other day." Um, yeah, maybe an actor who got by on his looks. Yeah, should we say? It's fine in this. It works perfectly for this. Yeah, film. yeah. it works perfectly, uh-huh. and this is you know. This is his biggest role. This is what he's most known for, as far as I'm concerned, because it works. Mm-hmm. It's spot on. And that's also true for some of the other actors, too. Dina Mayer plays fan favourite, Dizzy Flores. Is she a fan favourite? She's a fan favourite. They were good mm. when she died and they wanted her back in the sequels. Yeah. Um, Saw, she was in Saw 1-4. Oh, who has? Uh, the cop, Kerry. <gasps> she was, yes, of course. Uh, Johnny McNamonic. Yeah. Star Trek Nemesis, Piranha 3D. Dog Walker's Christmas Tale. <gasps> nice. The Flash TV show, American Horror Story, and more. Yeah, she's... Um, Given Rebecca Gayheart energy. She's got that lovely curly hair mm-hmm. that was quite prominent at the time. Yeah, um, which I love. Yeah, she's 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 a strong one, but we'll we'll get get to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Um, speaking of Rebecca Gayhart, she and Nev Campbell were considered for this next role, uh, but they were busy doing Scream too. Oh. It's Carmen Ibanez, played by Denise Richards. Denise Richards, of course, the star of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh. Course. Wild Things, Love Actually, The World Is Not Enough, Valentine, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Tammy and the T-Rex, and more. Now, this character got the brunt of things. Uh, test audiences, re- their reactions led to several minor changes regarding this character before the film's release. They fucking okay. hated her. Mm. Uh, originally, it was clear that Carmen was torn between Rico and Xander. Test audiences, regardless of gender... Strongly felt that a woman could not love two men at once. That's impossible. So scenes which portrayed this were cut. These audiences also felt that it was immoral for Carmen to choose a career ahead of being loyal to Rico. To the extent that many commented that in doing so, Carmen should have been the one to die instead of Dizzy. While admitting it may have been a bad commercial decision not to change the film to accommodate this... The director did cut a scene from after Xander's death where Carmen and Rico kiss, which the audience believe made the previous betrayal even more immoral. Oh my God. People in the 90s needed fucking help. Serious help. Bitch, bitch, bitch. The calls are coming from inside the house. If this is a satire, it's a satire on you fuckers. Yeah, I mean, coming from the men, it's massively misogynistic. And coming from the women who said it, that is talent of the sort of life they thought they should be leading in 1997. And I mean, it's a as old as time, though. It's, yes. It's still around now, that awful sort of rhetoric that women have to choose between a mm-hmm. career and, and love and all that business. It's... Oh. Yeah, maybe not doing one at the box office was a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> back in that yeah. day, like I don't want to fucking get your uh-huh. money, you stupid prick. I mean, that's kind of why I love the character is because she chose her career over you know over this guy and making her own decision of what man she wants. Fucking of course, why wouldn't she? But then also Rico's a dickhead too, yeah. and we'll get into that. Well, why would she want Rico? Yeah, a knob. Well, yeah, 
Denise deserved better. Denise deserved better. Denise Richards, bless her, I love Denise Richards. I've always liked her in films. Mm-hmm. Um, absolute drop-dead gorgeous, all-time, one of the most beautiful women to ever grace the screen. Her acting choices fit the role very well. Yeah. My question <laughs> is whether that's deliberate or not. I mean, it's not too far removed from the way she acted in Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. And that was the same sort of silly yet potential satire type film. So it's it's campy B-movie acting yeah. for a campy B-movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Do with that what you will. But I love you, Denise. <laughs> Jake Boozy uh, is in this as Ace Levy. And he was in Identity, The Frighteners, Contact, Stranger Things, The Predator from Dust Till Dawn TV series, The Hitcher 2, I've Been Waiting, where he plays The Hitcher. Oh. Christmas of the Cranks, Hider in the House, uh, alongside his dad, Gary Boozy. Has anyone on this planet ever looked as much like his dad as Jake Busey. Uh, no. They he's... look I fucking identical. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's crazy. That's well, um, not crazy, it's genetics, but still. <laughs> In his DNA. So yeah, nep nepo baby. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Was Gary Busey a big star? Um, I only know him as uh, kind of that Nicolas Cage off kilter acting, take any role that's available, sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like he would have been the Nicolas Cage of the eighties. So was he a big star? What have we What have we seen him in? Was he in Silver Bullet? He was in Silver Bullet. I was getting mixed up Absolutely with Nick Nolte acting his heart out in Silver Bullet. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Piranha Three Double D. Well, you, you know, you kind of big brother, him. celebrity big brother. Exactly. You're proving my point. Who did he get into um, an argument meatloaf. with? Did you get an argument with Meatloaf? Yeah. Um, what was it on? Dragon's Den? Oh, no, The Apprentice. The Apprentice. USA, yeah. Yeah, he got... Oh, God, of course he did. <laughs> but who did he argue with on Celebrity Big Brother? I think it was Leslie Jordan. It may have been, yeah. Probably, I think it was Leslie Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie Jordan argued with everyone. But yeah, uh, prolific career. Maybe more well known? No, he's not more well known than his I dad. But he got, think I think he got more well known roles than his dad. Maybe. Um, or maybe it's our age. Maybe. Whereas we know these films yeah. firsthand. Yeah. Um, He's alright. He is. He ain't got much to yeah. do. Bless him. Clancy Brown is in this as Sergeant Sim. Now, someone who's been in fucking everything is Clancy Brown. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, Cowboys vs. Aliens, The Mandalorian, Daredevil, Promising Young Woman, Blue Steel, John Wick Chapter 4 recently. It, genuinely, he's an Everything. Matt Phil's is in a fright fest where he's randomly popped up. And I like him. I do, I like him. He's a bit like Ving Rains. Like I I don't really know why I like him because <laughs> he's not always in the best films that I watch. Um but I there's something about him I really like. Yeah. And I like watching him on screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, props to him. And Michael And he looks very different in this one. He does. He looks much he younger. Does. I yeah. feel like I only see him when he's older. Mm-hmm. And Michael Ironside plays Gene Razgak, uh, who he was in Total Recall, Top Gun. Uh, he made a head explode in Scanners. He did. Turbo Kid, Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, Free Willy, Nobody, 
Was he in Free Willy? He was. Who to... was he? Like, love interest? Love interest? No. Of course not. The mum had to have a love interest. Oh, maybe. I can't remember. It was a film uh, in the 90s, of course. Terminator Salvation, X-Men First Class, and more. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. It was good. Yeah. I liked his role. Um, Amy Smart was in this too. Was she? Yeah, yeah. Where the fuck was she? One of the random lieutenants. She, uh, obviously we know her from the Butterfly Effect. Yes. Just Friends. Starsky and Hutch. Uh-huh. Crank. Um, I know her from Road Trip, unfortunately. One of the big films when I was younger. <laughs> and also we have Brenda Strong. Now, Brenda Strong played Mary Ellis in uh, Desperate Housewives. So, um, you're not familiar, are you, with Desperate Housewives? (laughs) She was also in The Craft, Spaceballs, Red Dragon. She appeared in Starship Troopers 2, surprisingly, because, spoiler alert, she dies in this film. (laughs) Um, But yes, I know her very much, so, as Mary Alice in Desperate Housewives. So, um... Yeah, she was the narrator of the series, if if you anyone remembers. I'm sure loads of people remember Desperate Housewives. It's a big deal. Well, let's get into our feature presentation. They came to our planet. They destroyed our cities. But on November 7th, they'll learn they messed with the wrong species. Starship Troopers opens everywhere Friday. In the 23rd century, Earth is uh, governed by the United Citizen Federation, a military government founded generations earlier by veterans after democracy and social scientists brought civilization to the brink of ruin. Citizenship is gained only through federal service, which grants rights such as to vote and to breed that are withheld from ordinary civilians. Humans, who are now um, spacefaring, conduct colonization missions throughout the galaxy, bringing them into conflict with a race of highly evolved insectoid creatures dubbed arachnids or otherwise known as bugs in a uh, derogatory way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of, yes. most of the arachnids appearing on film are CG, uh, uh, CGI, uh, but a few life-size robotic models were also built. However, during the battle scenes, the actors wound up looking at Paul Verhoeven himself, who would stand in front of them, jumping and screaming, um, and telling them that he's uh, he's chasing them whilst running around with a broom. His nose bleeding. His nose bleeding. <laughs> Getting way too overexcited. Um, involved with the project since 1990, Phil Tippett witnessed the screenplay go through many changes. And whilst the script was evolving, the world of visual effects were evolving too, as did the techniques planned to create the alien books. Tippett said the whole story was completely different in the early 90s. We started thinking about it back then. And this was pre-digital, pre-Jurassic Park days. We considered using traditional model photography, either stop motion or puppetry. And then, of course, everything changed with Jurassic Park. And it was directly after his involvement with that film that Tippett Studio art director, uh, Craig Hayes, Paul Verhoeven, Alan Davison, Edward Normier and Tippett got together and started thinking about what the bugs would look like. Uh, and they decided they'd, genuinely, they'd generally go with digital bugs. 
Now, did you tell me this was nominated for an Oscar? It was. For the special effects. Special effects. It's absolutely bizarre. Looking at it now, it genuinely looks like a video game. <laughs> some of them look great, but some of them it's like, oof, that is 1997. I feel... I disagree with it. It kind of adds to the charm of it, though. It does. It, with how over the top it is and everything, and how silly it is, it kind of... It doesn't look too out of place. No. But there's no mistaking that this is a 1997 film. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we say it on the podcast a lot, everything's a product of its yeah. time. And I think for 1997, I think it's good. Mm. I think it's good. I I like... It, it's the bugs that do sort of... Uh, have not aged as well. When it comes to the gore, I oh, actually yeah. think it's quite good. Oh, the practical effects used are The fantastic. practical effects are good. But it hasn't aged the best. But you think of what else was around. We we were, we watched Alien Resurrection yeah. the other day. And those special effects really haven't held up no. very well. Um, we watched Return of the Jedi at the cinema mm. recently. And it was a 1997 updated version. Yeah. Wasn't it? And yeah. those special effects haven't aged. So you think of what was around at the time. Maybe mm-hmm. it is justified in getting that Oscar yeah. nomination for special effects. Because, I mean, it's a big it's a big ask as well. Because there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I... You know, we're looking at how many years now? 20? You know, best part of 30 yeah. years now. So it's not... But then you also think, well, Jurassic Park came out two years before and mm. they've held up incredibly well. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 are always my go-to references. Yeah, um, that's true. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it's, it's absolutely terrible. It's just very... It's just aged. Mm. It's, it's aged. But um, there were 75 gallons of blood used in this film and oh. it is by far Paul Verhoeven's bloodiest film. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you agree? Yes. Than Ro- I think it's bloodier than Robocop. Um, yes, no, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, Does that include bug blood? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's great. It's great. It's always uh, it's always nice to see when a mainstream film goes this far with it. So we open the film with a couple of high octane newsreels. Uh, one is a commercial for enlisting in the military. The other is some sort of news broadcast where the military are fighting very large insect like creatures. Um, and it's all very much, will you join us? Will you join... What's the the phrase that I totally forgot to write down? Enlist. En- enlist or, you know, it, it's all about enlisting in the military and, and all the rights that you can get, like, like Gary described. Uh, well, they're introduced to our teenage jock. Before we move on to that, it's very Robocop, isn't it? Oh, the yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, it is yeah, so yeah, yeah. Robocop. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, which Paul Verhoeven put that in with the hope that it would help people realise that it's a satire. And for me, immediately it made me think, when I watched it for the first time, obviously I knew, I was familiar with Paul Verhoeven's work going into it, but, I mean, come on, immediately let you know they're not taking this seriously. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I say it's the first time I watched it, I was very young. Mm-hmm. And didn't I didn't get it. I hadn't seen Robocop. I didn't know who Paul Verhoeven was. Yeah. It was on TV. I watched it. It was an action film. Blah, 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 blah. Watch, obviously watching it again, the signs are there from the get-go. Yeah, it's, it kind of reminds me of the um, Furby ripoff in Megan. 
yes. as soon as that film starts. When, when a film starts as something like that, you know what you're in for straight away. Yes. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, so we are introduced to Teenage Jock, Johnny Rico. Um, I say teenage. Casper Van Dien was almost 30 <laughs> at the time. Um, Gary gave us some facts about his kids at school. So yeah. he's definitely not a teenager. No. Um, I'd be surprised if any of them were. No, a lot of them were around his age. Yeah, I would say so. So we're introduced to Rico in the first class of the day at school, where his teacher, um, played by Michael Ironside, is discussing the benefits of violence. So he says, this year we will discuss the failure of democracy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> if anything is a clear joke, uh-huh. the teacher turning around to the class and saying, this year we will discuss the failure of democracy. Duh. <laughs> This is a satire. Uh, he also says that naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any <laughs> other factor. Right. Uh, Rico, who's not exactly a star student, is more interested in sending Carmen, his girlfriend, Carmen Ibanez, uh, pictures of them kissing. Yes. Uh, Carmen, on the other hand, does seem to be buying into what the teacher is saying. Mm-hmm. Now, that was an interesting class. Yeah. Class two. By far the best. <laughs> class two is taught by Rue McClanahan, and uh, they as she's they blind. Are, she's blind. blind. She's blind. She is. I don't know what she's. She's wearing like a lab coat with uh-huh. a tie and gloves. Um, she's dressed like who was it on this year's Drag Race? Oh, it was a really bad outfit. Dressed like a mad scientist. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She's dressed like that. It's still a serve. Um, and as they dissect the bugs, Rue tells them about how these bugs are in many ways the perfect species. Humans may think they're stupid, but they've managed to survive millions of years. Carmen reminds Rue that humans created art, literature and interstellar space travel. But Rue is having none of it. She says it reproduces in vast numbers, has no ego, has no fear, doesn't know about death and so is the perfect selfless member of society. She goes on to say that uh, now they can colonise planets by hurling their spores into space. Carmen um, <laughs> can't really stomach the dissection any longer, can she, Gary? No. And uh, she throws up and flees the room. <laughs> so this is this is interesting because both, um, both classes after each other. So the first class is basically... Military violence is the way forward. It's the answer to everything. Yeah. Whereas Rue's saying that these bugs shouldn't be underestimated. Mm-hmm. We think they're stupid, but they've survived millions of years. Yeah. You know, they are in many ways evolved to survive. Mm-hmm. And they will continue to do whatever they can to survive. Yeah. And it's... It's that sort of... It's throughout the whole film. The idea that the bugs are just trying to live and trying to survive and evolve, whereas the humans are trying to be the biggest and the best and the brightest in the universe. Yeah. And they bring in the bugs down Mm -hmm. a peg or two for them to take that mantle. Yeah. So their psychic friend, 
Carl Jenkins, played by Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, how did we forget that? Um, he's, he's not a popular subject these days. <laughs> Is he not? No, he did, he did something real bad, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yes, we all know Neil Patrick Harris okay. from... Uh, uh, Why well, can't I think? How what I is it? Mother. Harold and Kumar. Okay. Was he? I don't know. <laughs> I know How I Met Your Mother, and I know. Um, oh, Lord. What was that? He was a child doctor or something. Okay. Uh, anyway, okay. Let's just. Yeah, crack on. Uh, their psychic friend, Carl Jenkins. <laughs> Patrick Harris, tries to teach Rico some of his psychic abilities. But Rico is a hopeless case. He's yeah. very pretty he's very pretty, very handsome, but he's not good at much. He's he? not, no. Bless him. Um I say that. I'm just about to contradict myself. Because he is very good at indoor American football. And uh, despite the distraction caused by Carmen flirting with Xander, a member of the opposing team, Rico manages to score the winning touchdown. Mm -hmm. um, indoor America? Why is it indoor? Is that a thing? Um, I don't think it's a thing, yeah, but it's in the future, isn't it? So I... Uh, everything's indoors. Everything's indoors. And it really gives the most over-the-top game of football. He is doing flips and tricks. Oh, yeah. It he goes like doing gymnastics, yeah. flying through the air. It's like such a fall, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, But, yeah, the... I, I think it, it needs to be said that, obviously, Paul Verhoeven is, is not an American director. No. He um, was born in the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was in the Netherlands during Nazi occupation. Was, yeah. So I think that's very much fed into this film as well. Uh -huh. um, he's also not a fan of Americans. No. So. <laughs> he's not opposed to satirising America. Yeah. Now, for any of our American listeners, we apologise. But we, we might be discussing some stereotypes of American culture. I mean... Particularly with indoor American football. Anyone in America of sane mind knows to laugh at themselves. Let's let's face it. I mean, a lot of people I know from America will tell you straight up how terrible it is over there. Um, but yeah. It's, yeah. If, and, if you're and, patriotic, we apologise. And, yeah, and, and let's... Let's be very clear. If you're patriotic, you probably shouldn't even be listening to this podcast. There's probably a few yeah. other things wrong there. Well, no. It's, it, let's be very clear. Here in Britain, you know, not much better. No. <laughs> it's not. We ain't got it perfect over no. here. But that's for another day. <laughs> but this over-the-top American sports, um, cheerleading, like, all-American Abercrombie and Fitch model. Mm -hmm sort of thing it is very apparent here. The yeah. beautiful girlfriends, all that business. So there's a dance that evening. So it's the end of school and there's a dance. Um, before Rico goes to the dance, uh, his parents try to put him off military service with the promise of a holiday to the outer <laughs> reach. Um, his parents are very clearly rich. I thought his uh, dad was uh, Rutger Hauer. Oh, okay. And he looks a lot like him. I think it's, <laughs> is it Christopher Curry who plays his dad? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, because I, I thought, I mean, I put the pieces together as well because Paul Verhoeven works with Rutger Hauer a lot. Mm. Um, but no, it's not him. 
She looks a lot like him. <laughs> um, he wants him to go to Harvard instead, despite his 35% overall academic score. So Rico's not very good no. at academics, but his father tells him that he should go on vacation yeah. to the Outer Reach. He's mm-hmm. always wanted to go to the Outer Reach. And he should go to Harvard. He's the biggest idiot of the film. Rico is is by far the biggest idiot of the film and probably the biggest satire on America. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's so stupid, blindly chasing after this girl who is way more intelligent than he is and actually doing something with her life. And he's just blindly following that and just going with whatever comes next and then accidentally manages to do really well, um, which I think is absolutely hilarious. And Casper Van Dien does such a good job of playing that sort of airhead yeah uh who accidentally falls into success as the film goes on it's, it's great yeah and he was born into privilege yeah absolutely he's got he's got yeah. very rich parents yeah they like well you don't even need to become a citizen you don't because yeah. i mean we've got money so what's what's yeah. the point you got I mean, it all set up here yeah you can go you're thick as pig shit mate uh-huh. you can still go to harvard yeah because i've got a load in the bank yeah you know it's yeah it's definitely a satire on his privilege mm-hmm. Rico, he does eventually join the military intelligence with Carmen, Carl, and classmate Isabel Dizzy Flores, mm-hmm. who is in love with Rico, very clearly. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. She's a bit of a tomboy, isn't she? she? Is. Let's talk about Dizzy. She's a bit of a tomboy in that she wants to join the military too. Yeah. Um, she plays on the men's team of American football, but, and I'm very much sure this is also within the satire, mm-hmm. a very beautiful woman. Yeah. Very course. beautiful woman. Uh-huh. Everyone in this film, very beautiful. Yeah. And she's no exception, but he's, Rico's just not interested. She's no. Too, she's too manly. Too manly. Carmen's, Carmen's more of a girl. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rico's parents once again try to talk him out of enlisting. Uh, hilariously, when his dad says, uh, and I paraphrase, you're not joining the military, you're going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> but at the graduation party where they're having the dance, um, Zoe Polidaris, who I believe is the daughter of the composer of the score, uh, performs a cover of David Bowie's I've Not Been to Oxford Town, but swaps it to I've Never Been to Paradise, and it is a sleigh. It is, it is. She's, she's given 60s. Yeah. She's, I don't know, the outfits are given 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all very promish, isn't it? All, yeah. All the ladies are in dresses, all the men are in ties, you know, by, you know, dressed up. And um, d- d- just, whilst you mentioned it, I think the uh, score is fantastic. It's very Robocop. Very Robocop. Yeah. And he did Robocop. Yeah. So it's very Robocop. Robocop mm-hmm. has one of the best it adds to scores it. It, of all time, yeah, in it, my opinion. It adds to what the film's trying to do because it adds that sort of over-the-top cheesy, big-scale feeling to the film. And that just adds to how funny it is at times. Yeah. Like some really stupid things happen and yet the score's like really over the top, like taking it seriously. It's great. But then Rob- Robocop is also Robocop like Robocop is that. absolutely I that. feel like yeah. there's so many parts of this film where Paul Verhoeven is, is knocking on the the, yeah. the, uh, the camera. He's knocking on the screen and saying, Oi, you've seen Robocop. This is the same. Yeah. This is, you know, I'm reminding you here. Don't take this seriously. Uh-huh. Um, as they enrol, we learn that Carmen wants to be a pilot. 
Carl has enlisted for a coveted spot in the military intelligence because of his psychic mm-hmm. abilities, and Rico has joined the infantry. Um, the the guy who's getting him to sign up, he says, uh, "Good for you to to uh, Rico." It's good for you. Mobile infantry made me the man I am today. And then the camera pans to his <laughs> lack of legs. Yeah. He has no legs and he has a metal <laughs> arm. Come on. Come on. And that's black comedy uh-huh. if you've ever seen it. We get some more newsreels. Uh, first one is kids fighting over guns <laughs> while military officers laugh. <laughs> and like, hey, kids, take a look at these guns and they're fighting over them. If any clip hits hard with the state of America today, that's the one. Yes. Um, the second one is asking people if they're psychic. If you're psychic, join the military. <laughs> uh, the third one is um, kids. It's basically saying, oh, kids, you know the dangers of arachnids. And then it demonstrates with a big censored... Killing of a cow by an arachnid. And the uh, corpses of some Mormons. And then the fourth one is Mormons. So apparently Mormons had tried to set up a community in an area sort of infested with arachnids. And it ended with them dying. Mm-hmm. And it shows their corpses. And like, don't be stupid like the Mormons. <laughs> They're not friends. You can't, you know, you can't reason with an arachnid. Yeah. <laughs> Infantry training begins and drill sergeant Zim, played by Clancy Brown, breaks a dude's arm while Dizzy makes a surprise appearance joining Rico's squad. Um yeah, so Zim's a bit like, well who who thinks that they can push me over? And this mm-hmm. dude's like, I think I can. So he breaks his arm as a punishment. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dizzy turns up, she said, I'm joining this squad. And he's like, what, do you think you could take me on? She's like, yeah, I think I can. And she gives him a good fight. Yeah, she gives him a good go. But he ends up choking her out He does. The nice little small detail that was so funny in the scene was um, when she reappears and she's having a chat with uh, with Rico. And she's all happy. She's a big smile on her face. She's happy to be there. And her neck is still completely bruised from where he's just done that. (laughs) (laughs) When she disappeared, what was funny, it's a bit of dialogue that made me crackle. Um, one of the, the women says, now that's the kind of girl that can make squad leader. <laughs> and she does. And she, and she, and does. she doesn't. Yeah, she does. She never does. She does because Rico makes a squad leader. Oh, after, mm, after Ace turns it down. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, in the unisex showers, the, now this is a very famous scene. Yeah. So but, the men and women are showering together. I mean, another great scene before this is when Ace is, they're doing some training and Ace asks um, how, well, you'd need a knife for a nuke fight. Oh, And yes. Zim throws a knife into his hand to show him that you can't push a button <laughs> if you can't <laughs> yeah. use your hand. And a bit of trivia about this scene, because this is the big scene that whenever I was, when I was doing my research, this is the one that kept coming up all the time. Um, Paul Verhoeven and Dina Meyer and Casper Van Dien confirmed that Verhoeven and cinematographer Joss Vacano shot the co-ed shower scene in the nude themselves on a day from Maya. Uh, on the day of the shoot, Verhoeven asked the uh, the cast to do a little fashion show about fashion so they'd get comfortable being naked, and they were reluctant, really reluctant to disrobe. Uh, Verhoeven asked them what the big deal was, to which Maya said, uh, if it's no big deal, why don't you do it? So quite unexpectedly, 
Verhoeven got undressed, as well as Vaccano, uh, who had been raised in a nudity camp himself. And after an initial shock and a good laugh from the cast, it was shot without any problems. And in 2014, in an interview with Empire magazine, Paul Verhoeven spoke about this scene and said, Americans get more upset about nudity than ultraviolence. I'm constantly amazed about that because, I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in an American film that are anything other than completely boring. A bare breast is more difficult to get through the censors than a body riddled with bullets. Which is a very, very good point. Very good point. Very. Um, and it's evident in a lot of his films. Yeah. This shower scene, it's very Austin Powers. It is. In the sense of uh, particular parts of the body are covered by random objects uh-huh. at different times. Not, not that we were looking too closely, but I did try and get a um, funny little fact from the podcast behind the scenes. Um, I was trying to get all the dialogue down, so I did have to like <laughs> rewind and keep going. <laughs> I just think it, it was behind the camera as well. Paul it's Verhoeven true, was there. Yeah. Was the I didn't even see a, a reflection. Maybe seen Paul Verhoeven's Verhoeven. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's really a, I, 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 Why do you think this scene is in the film? The dialogue we'll get to, but why do you think it has to happen in a co-ed shower? I feel like it's to show that. In this sort of situation, there is no gender and everyone's together showering at the same time. I feel that's the excuse for the uni for the unisex thing to kind of make the female characters as powerful as the male characters. Apart from that, I, I have no idea. So do you, do you think that... Because obviously this is nudity with men and women, but it's not sexual. No. Do you think that it's trying to say that the recruits are sort of free of sexuality? Yeah. In that sense. Because they don't comment on each other's bodies. No. There's no real reference to them all being naked together. No. Because what they're there for has nothing to do with that. Uh Uh-huh. But when it comes to sexuality and it comes to relationships, it's actually... Well, really, it's Dizzy's undoing. Spoiler alert, she dies at the end uh-huh. after having sex with Rico. Yeah. So do you think that the sexuality within the film, because there's not a huge amount, do you think that's there to sort of say, well, it's a distraction for people? Because Rico would never be there. No. Would never be in that situation if it wasn't for his relationship with Carmen. Yeah. Yeah. And it was referenced earlier by Carl that Rico and Carmen hadn't had sex yet. That's true. And that Rico was almost following her, mm-hmm. really, in the hopes that they would have sex at some point. Yeah. He was... And Dizzy followed him mm-hmm. with the hope that they would have sex yeah. at some point. And, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, maybe it's some cheap TNA. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to justify it. Uh, But the most interesting part is the conversation that's had. So one of them, what's his name, Kitten, he asks everyone, why are you, why have you enrolled with the military? Mm -hmm. And answers uh, include, it's better than being a farmer, uh, to get into politics, because you have to be a citizen to get into politics, uh, to go to, to go to Harvard, 
because uh, he got the results to get into Harvard, but couldn't afford to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite of Rico. Yeah. He didn't get the results to get into Harvard, but could afford to go uh-huh. and turned it down. And then one woman said it's the easiest way to become a citizen so that she can have children. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Uh-huh. I think it, again, brings up Rico's privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, people are literally having to put their lives on the line. Yeah. Just to get the education that they want. Um, people are having to put their lives on the line just to have children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the getting into politics, it's a uh, black female recruit that says that. And she wants she wants to make a difference. She yeah. wants to get into politics and makes a difference. And this is the only way that she knows that she can do that. Uh-huh. Because she hasn't got the privilege. Yeah. She hasn't got that behind her. So she has to go. And they're all in the infantry. Mm-hmm. So even the the guy who was so intelligent that he could get into Harvard, mm-hmm. he's in the infantry. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Uh-huh. You know, Rico is in the infantry because he's so bad at school. Yeah. You know, why is the other guy in the, sort of the lower... Yeah. Sort of, the, well, no, ex- exactly this. Um, and I think ex- the fact that at the end of the scene it's pointed out that Rico's only there just because of a girl. Yeah. Whilst everyone else has gave these, like, legitimate reasons that they have to go through all this to get to is very telling. Yes. Yeah. Carmen, she's doing really well in her piloting and is pleasantly surprised to find out that Xander is her assistant instructor. Yes. Uh, her main instructor is Captain uh, Deladia, and she's played by Brenda Strong, of course. Mm-hmm. Mentioned her. I can't do... I, I might do a Mary Alice impression later on when she dies. <laughs> I'll leave you in suspense until then. Uh, during training, Rico impresses Zim, earning a promotion to squad leader. But Carmen breaks up with him over a video message and he's down in the dumps again. Yes. Um, he thanks... So it's this during this training and it's with um, safety guns that uh-huh. just sort of zap people with bolts and it's two teams. Yeah, it looks like laser quest. Capture the flag. <laughs> Capture the flag, that's it. Uh, Dizzy is integral to his success in this mm-hmm. and he thanks her because he kept turning her down he said don't talk to me yeah. you've only joined the squad to be closer to me i know that mm-hmm. stop talking to me it's never going to happen and uh, he actually thanks her for her help during the training session and he decides that they can now be friends again yeah he says this only to her uh-huh so he doesn't make it clear to anyone else that dizzy was integral to his success no and his position as a squad leader. Uh-huh. Very telling of his character. Yeah. Rico makes a mistake during a training exercise, which causes the death of one of his squad and the resignation of another. Very gory scene. Yes. Yeah. So essentially what happens is one of the squad's helmets starts to malfunction. Yeah. Rico tells him that he can take it off. And he ends up unintentionally getting shot in the head. Um, so we get like a head explosion yeah. <laughs> there. Very gory. Um, consequently, Rico is demoted and flogged. Um, another very sort of 
this is very clearly satirizing the military. Oh yeah, you know this corporal punishment being flogged in front of everyone. Uh-huh. What's interesting about this as well is that Rico is the one who took off the dude's helmet in the middle of training with actual firearms mm-hmm. being used. But he's also the one who is deemed salvageable yeah. and only punished and allowed to stay in the military. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dejanand, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh-huh. Dejanand, uh, the young black woman who wanted to get into politics, she's the one that's discharged immediately yeah. and sent home. Uh-huh. She's the one who wanted to make a difference. Yeah. But she's gotten rid of straight away because she's the one who unintentionally shot uh-huh. him in the head. Whereas really it's Rico's yeah. fault. Yeah. It was Rico's fault. You know, and they're not punished um jointly. They're not they're, no. it's it's not the same. So her future's completely destroyed uh-huh. because of it. Yeah. Whereas Rico, as we see is allowed to continue and go on to have a successful future. Mm -hmm. Rico resigns from the military after the flogging, but then reconsiders after learning that an asteroid sent by the Arachnids has destroyed Buenos Aires, killing millions, including his parents. And this all happens, so he has a video call with his parents, Mm -hmm. and everything starts to go dark and then it's cut off and they find out that an asteroid has hit Buenos Aires. Yeah. Because of that, war is officially declared with the Arachnids and he rejoins to destroy the Arachnids. Mm -hmm. Now, it's something I did a little research on and I'm not really sure what conclusion I came to. But obviously, Buenos Aires is in South America. Uh-huh. And these are obviously very white people. Yeah. But what do you think that's trying to say? I don't know. I believe... Um, I'm not sh- I'm sure this is what I read, uh, that Rico was actually um, Filipino in the book. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it could... The fact that, you, you, like you said, you know means it's all white people there, could be commentary on colonisation, perhaps? I I think so. I've seen it from different sides looking online. Um, some people say, well, Buenos Aires actually does have a high white population, mm-hmm. so it's not inconceivable, you know, so it's not necessarily whitewashing the roles, uh, despite them, you know, they are quite Hispanic names that they have. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily whitewashing, mm-hmm. but also others have said, well, it is part of the satire. Yeah. It is, you know, that these characters, these actors playing the characters are all American, white, uh, model-esque, yeah. you know, people. That's part of the satire and the sort of whitewashing that the military does. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, you know, the propaganda that the beautiful people in the military being very successful, looking hot and killing bugs. Yes. Yeah. And it's part of that satire. 
So uh, I think it's an interesting point. I'm not really sure because let's be honest, 1997, I wouldn't put it past the filmmakers to whitewash these characters. No. I haven't read the novel. I don't know enough about the novel to fully understand. Mm -hmm. um, but in 1997, I wouldn't... It, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that it is whitewashing going yeah. on here. Um, we get some more newsreel propaganda. Uh, first video is... Buenos Aires destroyed. Mm -hmm. And the uh, voiceover says, Out of the ashes of Buenos Aires, first comes sorrow and then anger. And it cuts to this guy with a in some rubble with a photo of his uh, family who have seemingly died. And he s turns to the camera and says, the only good bug is a dead bug. This very much does the thing, makes fun of the thing that we talk about, how uh, in films, American news channels have no problem showing a few corpses. Yeah. Uh, and this like goes so over the top of it and you see so many mutilated corpses throughout this film. Absolutely. It's crazy. You would never see um, a woman's breast on the news no. ever, but you'd see corpses. Yeah. Crazy. Um, second video is um, in Geneva, the federal council convenes. And the, the guy says, uh, we must meet the threat with our valour, <laughs> our blood, indeed, with our very lives to ensure that human civilization, not insect dominate. Uh, excuse me, that was bad. Um, we must meet the threat with our valour, our blood, indeed, with our very lives to ensure that human civilization, not insect, dominates this galaxy now and always. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's a small bit of dialogue here that I absolutely love where he shows me, it's like, here's a bunch of MI kids that look like they could eat bugs for lunch. And uh, we get Dizzy's like, oh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> yeah. And he says directly to them, he says, uh, well, some say that the bugs were provoked by the intrusion of humans into their natural habitat and that uh, live and let live policy is preferable to war with the bugs. And they're all absolutely disgusted at the yeah. idea that in any way it's the human's fault uh -huh. because they couldn't mind their own fucking business. Yeah. And, oh, come on, Taylor's... Really, seriously, a Taylor's oldest time. Yeah. You know, the, the the war in Iraq, Vietnam War, uh -huh. you know, it's clearly a satire on this. And it, it's part of the film. It's not brought up too much because we are seeing it from a certain perspective, looking at the military. And it, mm -hmm. it doesn't need that... I don't think the film needs that other no. side... But you get snippets of reference to the idea that, you know, there are people out there who are saying, well, I don't think this is right. Yeah. It doesn't need it for the satire. It, it doesn't. And that's, no. that's why it's such a well-made film, because it doesn't need that. Mm -hmm. But when it gives you little tidbits of that, you are like, oh, OK, you know, I I get what you're doing here. Yeah. Um, Another video has... Uh, Carl demonstrating the best way to kill an arachnid. Yeah. And we also get one, which made me laugh out loud, of school kids stomping on cockroaches yes. while the teacher looks on gleefully. <laughs> so this idea that all bugs are the same, mm -hmm. that these cockroaches need to be punished, these cockroaches yeah. on Earth need to be punished because on a faraway planet, we're annoying these arachnids. Yes. Yeah. You know, again. 
you know, I don't have to spell it out for you. <laughs> and the film doesn't either. No. You know, it, it has these bits and it's funny. And then you think about it, and you're like, oh, okay. So uh, Rico and Carmen, they see each other again. To the tune of Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. Don't even. Carmen now is outranking Rico. And Rico and Xander fight as, like Gary said, Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. One of my favourite songs of all time plays in the background. <laughs> Completely spoiling it. Yeah. By <laughs> roughhousing. Well, I'm trying to listen to Mazzy Star. Thank you. Um, when... Rico sees Carmen. He says to her, uh, my mum was right about you. You look great in a uniform. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, at least she looks nice. Uh, this is our first look at the uniforms, the, the yeah. real full uniforms. And it's very evident at the end. But even now, you can see that the costumes are based on Nazi uniforms. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, very yeah. clear. Very clear. Um, Rico, Dizzy, Ace and Kitten all get matching hideous flaming school tattoos with death from above written around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like this is a reference to death from above being written on the on Kilgore's helicopter in Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, much regarded as an anti-war movie. Yeah. Um, apparently, Francis Ford Coppola has gone on record recently and said it's not an anti-war film. That's um, a choice. But I think... Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola, the same guy who helped his pal, um, Jeepers Creepers guy, Victor Salva out, helped him get back into the world after prison. Yeah. And still supports him to this day. But, yeah. So, but well known as a sort of anti-war film, and I feel it's a reference to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, an invasion force is deployed to Klendarthu, the Arachnids' home planet, but the military intelligence underestimates the Arachnids' defense abilities, leading to thousands of casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, clearly all the bravado quickly disappears as the military is clearly ill prepared, and we get for the. How far into the film? About halfway? Maybe a yeah. little more? You know, for a big chunk of the film, we're getting this military propaganda. We're getting these recruits. They're like, we're going to kill these bugs. We're top-notch. We're at the top of the food chain. Yeah. This, that, and the other. And the time where it's put your money where your mouth is, they completely fail. Yeah. It's complete failure. Um, they're shooting wildly, hoping that sheer force would be enough, and it's not. Then, clearly not prepared. Mm-hmm. It's they've. I feel like their training hasn't really been complete up to this point. No. Um, Kitten is torn in half. His upper body thrown into uh, Rico, <laughs> and Rico stabbed in the leg. I just think that was a bit funny. Yeah, they should have written it, and it just goes flying it across the screen. So gory during this sequence. It is, and this is when we get a lot of the practical effects as well. It just looks so good. Yeah, so we're told that ten thousand were wounded in one hour. Yeah, and we see all of them. And we see all of them. <laughs> um, we also get the uh, the new woman in charge of. I'm not really sure what the the military or whoever it is, uh-huh. the politician, she says that to defeat the bug, we must understand the bug. Yeah. 
So this is in keeping with what kind of what Rue was saying. Yeah. In the idea that these are intelligent creatures and we need to treat them like intelligent creatures mm -hmm. to be able to defeat them. Yeah. And what they haven't been doing so far is treating them like intelligent creatures. They're just cannon fodder and they just go in and shoot and hope for the best. Badly wounded, Rico is rescued by uh, Lieutenant uh, Jean Rasksack. Rasak. Rasak, excuse me. His former high school teacher. So this is uh, Michael Ironside. But is mistakenly reported as dead. Uh, devastating Carmen. So he's in this tank for three days. This is very much a parody of The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, with yes. Skywalker in his tank. And uh, Ace and Dizzy gleefully inform him that he's dead. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, you're dead. It's the paperwork. Uh, following his recovery, Rico, Dizzy and squadmate Ace join uh, Rasak's special forces unit, the Roughnecks. Yes. Now, Razak, he has one rule. You fight and you don't quit. And uh, if you ain't doing your job properly, he'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's pretty much... And I think that Razak is the epitome of how the filmmakers see the military. I think so, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, there's no question to the fact that he work. will murder them if yeah. uh, they're not doing yeah. what they need to do. And he's, he's a parody... Of how we've seen the military yeah. in films previously. Uh -huh. Rico eventually earns the rank of corporal for his feats against the arachnids, including killing a gigantic tanker bug on Tango uh, on Tango Urela and becomes romantically involved with Dizzy. Finally. Yeah, he makes her the squad leader. He does. So he offers her the role of squad leader. Um he first asks Ace right in front of her, mm -hmm. and Ace says, oh, no, man, I don't think I can do it. I'm just <laughs> here to kill bugs. And so he literally turns to her. They're stood yeah. right next to each other. He says, do you fancy it, Dizzy? She's like, yeah, go for <laughs> it. Um, he then turns down Dizzy again uh -huh. for sex. Uh, well, when she asks him to dance. And uh, Razak tells him not to turn down a good thing when it appears. <laughs> And then he's like, yeah, you're right, my client side. I will give her a go. He finally gives uh, Dizzy what she's been after. Yeah. She 20 minutes. 20 minutes. They only get 20 minutes for uh -huh. And uh, she declares her love for him and he just smiles. Yeah. And I have here, in capitals, exclamation, all that business. Dizzy should have told this twat to fuck off. It's true. Yeah. What? Seriously. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. You know, she's... Yeah. She's um, confused by the dick, I think. Yeah. And she has been from the get-go. And it's been her uh, downfall, unfortunately. And it's sad to see, because she's very strong, very beautiful, and she deserves better. Uh-huh. The Roughnecks respond to a distress call on Planet P where they discover an arachnid-ravaged outpost, but are quickly overwhelmed by the bugs yet again. And what we're seeing during the... And these are great action oh, really uh, great, scenes. Yeah. Really, yeah, great, really great. Really well performed, really well shot, uh, very intense. Uh, I love, you know, like we said earlier, the CGI hasn't held up the best, 
but to see like a like a, a sea of these arachnids coming uh-huh. towards the military, you know, it, it's great. And it does that side of it so well as well. Yeah. Um, but throughout all of these scenes in the film, all these action scenes, the only directions that the commanding officers give is essentially shoot or yeah. fire or, you know, go get them. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. There's no plan. It's no. just shoot and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how many you kill. Doesn't matter how many of our men are killed. Just go for it. Yeah. Our objective is to slaughter as many as possible. Yeah. Carmen and Xander recover the surviving roughnecks by dropship. But not before Dizzy is killed and Rico is forced to mercy kill the mutilated Rasak. And uh, uh, after uh, poor Dizzy is impaled by one of the arachnids, Rico just says, come on, Dizzy, don't die on me. (laughs) Oh, now you give a shit. (laughs) And uh, she says, it's all right, because I finally got to have you. Oh, oh, Dizzy, that's not it, honey. That's a shame. I mean, such a shame. She's doing a uh, really good job here, uh, Mayoris, but... Yeah, character decision, though. Uh, yeah, inf- in- really infuriating. Um, the group returns to the fleet assembled in orbit above P, where Dizzy is eulogised. So um, it's the only time we see someone getting a proper funeral in yeah. this film. The- I don't know. Well, I mean, it would take a lot of time to do It would take a lot of time, but I'm not sure why Dizzy's the one chosen. But she gets a proper military funeral uh her casket is dropped into space and we see it floating in the background Uh (laughs) and uh rico says someone asked me once if i knew the difference between a civilian and a citizen i know now (laughs) a citizen has the courage to make the safety of the human race their personal responsibility dizzy was my friend she was a soldier but most important she was a citizen of the federation <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so she was a friend, she was a soldier, but most importantly, she was a citizen of the Federation. Uh-huh. I mean, it speaks for itself. It's the complete opposite of what we see in films. It is. Yeah. Where uh, what you would get is, above all else, she was a friend. Yeah. And this is the complete opposite. Carl, now a high ranking colonel, explains that the Roughnecks were deliberately sent into the trap, justifying it as a necessary sacrifice to prove the existence of a brain bug. Uh, A brain bug being an intelligent arachnid strategically directing the others. He grants Rico command of the Roughnecks and Field promotes him to lieutenant, ordering him back to P to capture the brain bug. And, like, no one seem, seemingly has a problem with the fact that he set them up and sent them there. Very briefly. <laughs> Very briefly. He set us up. Oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. You know, Dizzy died, but, yeah, yeah. that's okay. Um, yeah, so the bugs are mindlessly controlled by one bug that has seemingly brainwashed them into fighting. Yeah. Hmm... Sounds familiar. <laughs> the Roughnecks this time are very young. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, actually visibly very young, not just in comparison to Casper Van Dien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rico informs them that he has one rule. 
to fight, and if they don't do their job, he'll kill them himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I mean, clearly he's been brainwashed he into yeah. Rasak's way yeah. of thinking. Uh-huh. This is, you know, this is brainwashing of military, yeah. really. You know, the idea that people think that this is for the best, this is a good cause, and they're, they feed into it. And mm-hmm. they're drinking the Kool-Aid, as they say. Yeah. And even though it really did not work out very well for Rasak, and that the higher-ups in the military, being Carl, have only just admitted, you know, the same day, admitted that they deliberately set you up Mm -hmm. to be killed whilst they were fanning around somewhere else, um, he's still feeding into that. Uh He's still like, yeah, cool, you know, let's go do this. And let's do it exactly the same way as Rasak did, which got people killed, Mm -hmm. you know? As the battle commences, Carmen's ship is destroyed by the Arachnids, forcing her and Xander to flee in an escape shuttle that crash lands into an underground tunnel system. Um, sadly, uh, Brenda Strong's character is killed. She is. And also, sadly, um, we don't get a narration from her no. for the remainder of the film. Like we did in Desperate Housewives when her character killed herself in the first episode. Um, so we don't. You what? Spoiler alert! The first episode. The whole thing is based Some around. Some of us that. haven't seen the first episode. Like at the at the beginning and end of every episode. Yes, we all have secrets on Mysteria <laughs> Lane. That giant bugs are not one of them. <laughs> Maybe Denise Richards is just deliberately performing this role, but maybe it's just. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll never know. Mm. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> uh, the pair, Xander and uh, Carmen, are captured by the Arachnids, and the brain bug uses its proboscis to consume <laughs> Xander's brain. Absorb- I'm, I swear I'm an intelligent person, but there's, the, there's some words. That I practice and practice, and then when it comes to the fucking podcast, it completely leaves me uh-huh. how to fucking pronounce these words. It uses whatever, like a straw that comes out of its mouth to consume Xander's brain, absorbing his knowledge. Really grim scene. Yeah, really gruesome. And, but also, he I swear he gets a uh, leg up the ass from one of the books. He might. And also, um, Carmen gets one through the shoulder. Not that you'll be able to remember soon, because... She no-sells it, don't you? Suddenly, it's, it's fine. It's healed. It's she's like, within the next scene. <laughs> she's like Hulk Hogan. She no-sells that to the... Man- well, no. Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> uh, Rico sends his squad to complete their mission, while he, Ace, and their squad mate Watkins find Carmen and hold the arachnids at bay with a miniature nuclear bomb. The brain bug escapes while the arachnids attack and mortally wound Watkins, who sacrifices himself by detonating the bomb while his teammates escape. On the surface, they learn that Zim has captured the brain bug and the assembled troops rejoice as Carl psychically detects that the brain bug is afraid. (laughs) Few things to note here. 
Zim, he is regaled as a hero for uh-huh. capturing the brain bug. He is lifted on shoulders. They're yeah. all celebrating. Watkins, uh-huh. a uh, black soldier, completely forgotten. Yeah. He sacrifices himself uh-huh. to save the team. And who cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. never mentioned again. Whereas Zim capturing this scared brain bug uh-huh. is the one celebrated. Yeah. And it, it's high camp. It is. It is high camp. Is. Carl putting his hand on this giant... It, and it's very, it is ugly, you know, props to you, uh, the special effects people. You know, no offense. I'm not here to body shame bugs. <laughs> but uh, it's very ugly. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, it's... It's afraid. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd cheers. Uh-huh. Um, we then cut to a propaganda advertisement that details how the brain bug is being used uh, invasively. Uh, no, it's being invasively studied. Yes. And uh, used to learn its secrets and ensure humanity's victory. The advert encourages the viewers to enlist and do their part in the war so they can become like Carmen, now captain of her own ship, and Rico, who enthusiastically leads his troops into another battle. Yeah. And the end. Yes. And that's Starship Troopers. I, you know, I haven't seen the sequels, but I can guarantee they probably completely misunderstand what makes this work. Yes. Despite being from the same writer, I could imagine they're very generic. Um, But... Starship Troopers is fantastic. It is uh, one of Paul Verhoeven's best, which, I mean, it's not saying much because I haven't seen a single bad film by Paul Verhoeven. No, um, no. But it's, you know, as far as sci-fi film goes, it's up there as, uh, as one of the best. And it just does everything it needs to do with its satire and the gore and the violence and the just the humour. It's hilarious. It's genuinely such a funny film. Um, and yeah, it's thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, there's enough action and gore to make it an entertaining film, uh, but with an interesting and unexpected point of view. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's aged like a fine wine. Uh CGI, okay, maybe not, but everything that it brings up rings true to today. Yeah. Even more so. That's true. And it's highly intelligent, and it's so intelligent, Mm -hmm. it fools you into thinking it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is essentially. It was marketed as a dumb action film. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought it was a dumb action film. People who thought it was a dumb action film decided they weren't going to watch it. Yeah, and they missed out on a really fucking great film. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Re- really love it. Really love it. Very, very clever. Very intelligent in its satire. Uh, engaging. Yeah. So let's get to the awards. Uh, biggest queen, I have Carmen because she chose a career and she knew what man she wanted out of the two and got torn apart for it in a test screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, props to Carmen. Uh, it would have been Dizzy, but she really needed to tell Rico to go fuck himself. Uh-huh. And I ain't being funny. You put any golden girl in a film, you know I'm giving her the biggest queen awards. I don't care if she was only in it briefly. It's it's Rue McClanahan's world. Yeah. And we're just living in it. Uh, biggest gasp, I have Xander having his brain sucked. 
I put the social commentary because uh, I remember watching when I was younger and it, it went completely over yeah. my head and all those bits of social commentary that I recognised uh-huh. when we watched it again last year. It, it, it was my biggest gasp. Yeah. Best dialogue. I have... Here's a bunch of MI kids. I look like they could eat bugs for lunch. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> uh, I chose... My mum was right about you. You look great in a uniform. <laughs> And finally, that's camp. I have Blanche Devereaux playing a blind yeah. biology teacher who makes Denise Richards throw up. I agree with that, but I did choose, because uh, I chose it for Biggest Queen, I did put the acting slash the fact that everyone looks straight out of an Abercrombie and Fitch photo yeah. shoot despite being in a war zone. Not a hair out of place. No. <laughs> everyone is stiff. Full makeup. We're well, not full makeup, you know. Not evening makeup. No. A natural makeup. Uh, but the hair's always intact uh-huh. for the men and the women, no matter what. <laughs> no yeah. matter what war zone they're in, they still look great. <laughs> uh, ratings. I give it nine fast healing stabs to Denise Richards' shoulder out of ten. <laughs> I gave it nine kinds of girl that can make squad leader out of ten. Uh, Masterpiece, Trash Speech, Trash or Basic, it is closest to Masterpiece. It is. It is. And it, it feels strange to say Starship Troopers is a masterpiece. But I think it is. Yeah. I really do think it is a masterpiece because it's so well constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I have to justify my nine. I think it is maybe a little overly long. It is very long, yeah. It is past the two-hour mark when I don't think it had to be. Yeah. Um, but that's picking at straws. Yeah. That is. Um, but I do I do think it's a masterpiece. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's available on Blu-ray, DVD, Video On Demand, ITVX, and Disney+. Plus. <laughs> and uh, if you enjoyed this... Like ITVX. ITVX. That's the freshest very streaming fresh. service. Yeah, yeah. it's fresh. If you enjoy this, I recommend checking out Alien Resurrection because it's camp and silly and very gory, just like this. Yeah, if you prefer basketball to American football, yeah. then definitely Alien Resurrection. Um, I, if you enjoyed this, check out Aliens. Yeah. I think it's fairly similar. Aliens is a, a more serious film, mm-hmm. but it's got similar energy. Yeah. Although I, I feel like everyone... Who is listening to this podcast has watched Aliens. Well, I'd hope so. <laughs> I'd hope so. Um, check us out on social media. We're Horrorcult Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcult Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And you can also find us over at GazPowerFest across all social media. An upcoming festival dedicated to minority filmmakers making new horror films. Give us a rate, review, subscribe on iTunes if you like what you hear. I'd like a follow on everything else. And next week, we'll be back to relax. We won't be doing it. Just, we're going to do it when we want to come. We're not talking about... Are you all right there? We're not talking about Frankie Goes to Hollywood's discography, but we are talking about Body Double. We are. I will talk about masterpiece. Melanie Griffiths is back. Melanie, on the podcast. oh yeah, this uh, the unofficial unofficial Melanie Griffith podcast. Horrorcore Cheshire. Yeah, really can't wait. Yeah, if, if Paul Verhoeven hasn't had a miss, 
I don't think Brian De Palma's had a match so far. D- d- take From that back right what now. I've watched. Take oh, that back right now. Okay, One of the worst things yeah. I've ever seen okay. was the fucking wedding film, oh, whatever it was called. Cut. We had to turn it off. Cut, cut it. But he's had a lot of hits. He's had a lot of hits. Some of the best films ever made. I'm sorry, listeners. I did lie to you then. Home Movies is one of the worst films I've ever watched. The wedding... That wasn't great either. It wasn't the wedding wedding party. Wedding party. Fucking bullshit. There was, actually. Yeah. But we'll be back. And we'll be talking about one of his better films. (laughs) Yes. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Bye.